0: You're listening to the Retro Reprise Podcast on NerdyLegion.com. Here's your host, Adam S.L. Welcome to Retro Reprise. I am Adam S.L. And today I'm going to take you guys on the beginning of a journey for me. Um, And I want to give you guys a little bit of background on what's going on. So uh, I've decided that I wanted to start shooting a documentary uh, type thing. And the thing is, I don't know how long it's going to be. I don't know uh, a lot of stuff. (laughs) Uh, I have an idea of what it's going to be. It's going to be about collectors, which I think is still uh, applicable to talk about and things like that. But I want to get into a little bit of background as to why I want to do it. Uh, one is I still love uh, talking about video games, and I and I love talking about sort of the culture of collecting and, and what people would consider to be nerd culture these days. But for me, um, talking just about video games is something that um, I'm not as passionate about. I still love video games a lot. I still want to talk about video games, but it's one of those things that I feel like um, has kind of that, that boat has sort of sailed. That thing has already happened. Um, but, uh, let me, let me get back. Let me start a little bit further back. So, um, a long time ago, uh, back in 2011, Dave and I had, uh, started a podcast. It was a nerd podcast. It was called Radcast. Uh, I loved it. We had a lot of fun and, uh, and after a while, after about three or four years, it, it just sort of fizzled out, which is okay because that, you know, not everything lasts forever. So, uh, three year, four year run is actually pretty good. Um, and then I decided to start a YouTube channel called Retro Reprise, which I talked about uh, video games, and I loved doing it. Um, and as time has gone by in the way YouTube works, it's really. Um, there's really no reason to talk about retro games. There's so many retro gaming channels that are out there, and the way YouTube works these days, they want content from you. If you're if you're trying to be let's let's say you're trying to be air quotes successful, uh, if you really want to make YouTube a career, or you want to do something like that. In order to get to that point, you have to uh, do YouTube stuff every day, uh, and the way YouTube currently works. Uh, if you really want to really push yourself, you have to put it. You have to treat it like a full time job, which is fine, um, but it also means that you don't have time to do anything else. So, uh, if you're somebody who works and somebody who has a job and a family and things to take care of. Um, Doing YouTube is a very risky investment, um, and you have to be a super dynamic personality. But you also need to have some other skills uh, to understand what's going on. And the way YouTube currently works, uh, all the retro gaming channels that I used to watch uh, on a regular basis—they know—they don't get recommended to me anymore. They don't uh, new episodes don't get pushed to me, uh, and. Uh, It's one of those things that's sort of weird, because I still search out retro gaming content. I still look for uh, things like that, and YouTube just doesn't want to push it. And so uh, I I decided, uh, you know, I I tried changing up my content quite a bit on YouTube. Um, I went from trying to do, like, really as produced shows as I could at the time with the, the cameras and microphones and stuff that I had to uh, doing live stuff to doing a podcast live on on uh, YouTube. And uh, the thing that worked out the best, which I think was the worst, was uh, I for a little while I was covering um, I'll say some YouTube drama. I was passionate about it because it was about someone who that I watched on a regular basis and someone who wasn't around anymore and um it was important to me and, and that's why i was talking about it and and what it turned into was uh it got a lot of views but what i had noticed was that uh the reason why it was getting a lot of views was because it was youtube drama it was drama based and i could have capitalized on that i could have turned that around and uh, did a lot more episodes and talk, find other things to talk about and get people, you know, riled up. And um, it was divisive, and it was separating something that I didn't really want to separate, which was uh, a fan base for a particular show. And um, and so that it's one of those things like that's that's what's naturally going to drive people to uh, watch a channel. And I realized. You know, after a couple weeks, I covered it for a couple weeks And I was doing, you know, the show pretty regularly Uh, And I realized that that's not where I want to be at I don't want to be the guy who's covering YouTube drama Because uh, that's what gets you views Uh, I covered the topic because I was passionate about it And, um, you know, I got it was funny because I got just a little hint Of what kind of being successful looked like Uh, and it was just, there was a lot of people who were, uh, it was a lot of hateful comments. I'll just put it that way. A lot of people that were mad for me saying what I said, um, and taking a position. And, um, yeah, like, it just, YouTube drama was not something I wanted to cover. This thing was particularly drama-based, um, but it was something I cared about, and it was about some, some people and some channels and some things that were going on that, um, I personally, uh... ...wanted to cover because I I had been invested uh, in these shows and people and things like that when uh, when all of this went down. So, that brings me to now. I still want to do video content, and occasionally I still want to talk about retro game stuff. Uh, It's still fun for me, Uh, but in the world of trying to cover for retro games, uh, I think there's just not that big enough of an audience to support... um, I think what it is, is that there's too many channels and not enough people to support retro gaming content uh, as a whole. That's that's not bad, that's just sort of the market, you know, that's just one of those things. Retro gaming had a big boom, I would say, back in 2013, and uh, these days, you know, 2019, not so much, not as big of a thing. There are still some really cool things that are coming out, like the mini consoles. I think the general public see and have an interest in what's going on, but... Um, Only when it comes to those retro consoles. There's like a surface area interest. And um, it's like, uh, you know, uh, and it's perfectly fine to have that. Um, When you get into uh, collecting as deeply as I have uh, for a particular item, you you kind of see that there's like, uh, you know, you see the normies out there who, you know, oh yeah, I used to have those video games, or I used to have those toys, or I used to have those comic books, or something like that. And then you have the people who are a little bit more in-depth, that want to collect things for value, and only want things that are going to be expensive, or just want to get something right now. And then you have sort of the deep-set people who collect because they really enjoy the hobby, and they want to be in there. And that's kind of where I wanted to land with a lot of the YouTube stuff. I I wanted to get in there and talk about, you know, video games as someone who's very passionate about them. Uh, The thing is, I think a lot of other people have done a better job than I have uh, and can put in the effort, and the time to do it where I just don't have that with with the way my my uh, real life is IRL jobs and stuff like that is very difficult for me to get out and, and really get in and record. Um, And I've been thinking about what I want to do because I still want to make video content. I still want to go out there and do something. And uh, that's when I came up with the idea. There's been something I've been wanting to cover for a long time that I've been wanting to talk about. And um, that is uh, the sort of the psychology behind collecting. Why do we collect? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? And uh, I have started that journey. I've started to do pre-production and that's where I'm at right now. So I wanted to sit down and talk with you guys about what I am going through right now because I am not a professional filmmaker. I don't have the years of experience uh, to really put together a documentary, but I have some idea of how to put together uh, news packages and I have an idea of, of some of the production side of it. Um, and so there's there's another there's another big side of it that I don't really know uh, but that's what I'm trying to tackle and that's what I'm trying to do here so yeah this idea of, about collectors um, it's been something that I've been kind of wondering about um, just sort of uh, sort of about myself but I've also got other friends that collect and a lot of people, my age are collectors of old toys uh me video games i know a lot of people who still collect dvds and blu-rays and movies uh and the thing is is that uh, i'm, I'm kind of curious as to why we do it because things like physical media for example um video games and movies movies and blu-rays and dvds and uh, some people even still cassette uh, uh collect VHS cassette you know why are we collecting this outdated media why are we doing this that's that's one of the things I want to look at Um, for me it's like I've got a bunch I've got a room full of old Nintendo cartridges and I could just really start up a retro pie and have all of these games on it and probably save myself a ton of room and so why do I collect and instead of just emulating those are questions that I'm sort of asking myself why would I do this And I know some of those answers for myself, but I really want to search out and find what those answers are from other people. And I also want to see if there's some sort of psychological um, deep space that would trigger as to why we are collecting like this. And it's one of those things, you know, whatever the answer is, I don't have a a negative or positive spin I'm trying to put on it. I mean, there's, there's great positives to collecting. There's, you know, after a while you become part of a community. You end up searching out other people who are like-minded and you go to conventions or you find Facebook groups that you can go to and, um, you know, trade or communicate uh, some information, whether it's, you know, there's a flea market that there's people who are selling these particular items or uh, we're having an event where we can go out and hang out and actually be around these people. Um, you know, there's, there's this great level of camaraderie among people who are collecting similar things. So you're around like-minded people. Um, and especially in this day and age with the internet and being an adult and being away from people and just trying to keep up with your responsibilities. I think that's important. I think the community side of things is really, um, really something that can be helpful. But on the other hand, there is the, the opposite side of that where you might be spending more money than what you should on collecting whatever items you have. Um, you know, other people don't really understand collecting to the point that you know having a massive amount of things could be hurtful for you. Um, you know, I'm married. My wife isn't really happy about my collection, but it's one of those things like uh, you know, if you're someone who had, let's say uh, a massive, GI Joe or Transformer collection uh, as a single man would it be would it be uh, hard to date people if they come to your place and they see these you know these shelves just filled with uh, toys? Uh, how the public perception is can be uh, whether we want to believe it or not. You know, there's some people who just believe if you have toys or old toys or old video games that they look negatively. There's a neg- There definitely at some point in time has been a negative viewpoint on adult people collecting um, anything that's from their childhood. But um, I've been wanting to explore this kind of avenue for a long time. Um, not only for myself, just to see if, you know, I, I really want to, <laughs> in, a, in a weird sixth sense, I sit there and want to go, like, is there something wrong with me? Is there something wrong with all of us? There's a, there's a part of me that wants to explore that, to see if there is something wrong with those of us who are collecting anything. Um, but there's another side of me that wants to know, like, this is normal. And, um, you know, it, it took, um, when I decided to sit down and, and really start working on this project that was one of the things i wanted to look at is like what is the percentage of people that collect you know and i think it's uh i don't remember my stats exactly but i think i read somewhere that they estimate about one-third of adults collect something so it's not that uncommon it's not that unusual but there's still a there's still a bigger percentage of people who don't collect things who don't have a collection, um, and then I think there's, I think there's an, an even a small space where there are people who collect small things that aren't necessarily like these massive collections of toys or massive collections of video games, but you know a good example of this would be my wife. Whenever she goes out of town, when she goes on vacation somewhere, uh, she has to go to a Starbucks and get the mug from that city, whatever city she's at. So. Um, when we went to Ireland, uh, when we were uh, up in Belfast, uh, she went and bought a Starbucks mug from Belfast, and she's got one from New York, and she's got one from San Francisco, uh, and a bunch of places in Texas. So while she is not a collector in the sense that I am, where I have you know over 2,000 video games, she still has a small collection and for her um, it means that she goes out to when she goes on vacation that she picks up she has it has to be a starbucks mug and, and it has to be a starbucks mug from the city that she's visiting from so she's got some sort of Collection in her, some sort of collector in her, uh, and and uh, it's it may be a little bit easier to pinpoint in somebody like that, right? You know, the idea that you're go, you're out on vacation, this is a special time because you're away from your monotonous life, and uh, you want something to to commemorate why you're out there, and you know, having a, a collector mug from a particular city. That Starbucks provides uh, it adds a little bit of consistency to the collection so the mugs are about the same size and about the same you know they, they look about the same but they're painted differently they have uh, you know some key uh, features of the city are usually located on the mug and so that's why she would collect them it makes perfect sense well someone like myself I you know, have video games from the time that I was a kid, so I have Atari 2600 and Nintendo games, but I've expanded that by a tremendous amount, you know, I started collecting games that I had never played, uh, or games that I had never heard of, um, I even eventually started collecting, uh, Japanese games for the Super Famicom, and... Then I expanded out again. I never had an original Xbox, and now I have an original Xbox and a bunch of games for that system. Um, I have a Dreamcast. I've never I never played Dreamcast when it was originally out. Uh, so my expansion of video games is is tremendous um, compared to her mugs. Her mugs are very specific, uh, where my video games were come in. Uh, they seem. They appear on the surface, not to be very specific. They are to me, but uh, they they may not be to the naked eye or to the outside viewer. So it's one of those things that I've, uh, I'm curious about. Um, I wonder how close this gets to being dangerous and, and the the benefits and the detriments of collecting. And that's why I want to get into this. Uh, but I wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about the the pre-production side of it because getting prepared for this stuff is uh, kind of daunting. Can be a little daunting. So, um, I have I have a book that I carry with me all the time. I actually, I have a couple of books. Uh, one is is a book I got from uh, There's I don't know if every town has these yet, but there's there's a company called Five Below, and what they do is they sell junk that they've acquired from other places and sell them for cheap. And uh, they have these really—they had these really nice um, books with like an elastic band on them. Um, it's just a journal. That's all it is. It's a journal, but it's like a five-dollar journal. So you're not spending like thirty bucks for a good journal to write in. Uh, because for me, if I'm going to write in it, I want to be able to write in it and not feel guilty that I'm, you know, wasting a, a thirty, forty, fifty-dollar like skin like. <laughs> journal so I, I bought a couple of these back in the day and I have one that I do for uh, the retro reprise episodes that I have here but then I started up another one um, for putting ideas together for this um, for this documentary that I want to shoot and uh, I've got a I do have a special pin I have a space pin uh, because I'm left-handed and ballpoint pins just seem to uh, jam up after a while. And then I have another book, uh, and I, these come in a th- set of three, and I have to... I'll try to remember what they are, uh, but these are really handy to have. Uh, they're they are real raw, they're just like a cardboard cover, uh, and they're real thin, but the quality of paper is really nice, and I think they're called bullet journals. Uh, you can keep it in your pocket, and for those, I, I have... Uh, one that I gave to my wife. They come in a pack of three. There's one I gave to my wife. There's one that I had uh, when I was working on some other type of videos. I've got uh, what I do is I keep shot ideas. So what what kind of uh, shooting I want to have. So like, a, um, you know, oh, I want to get a shot of this building this way. I'll write it down in there. I'll make a list of shots that I want to have for a scene. And I'll keep that in my pocket. And sometimes, you know, there'll be an idea that pops up while I'm shooting, and I'll write it down in there. And so it serves as sort of a checklist so I can have uh, interesting shots for a lot of B-roll stuff. And uh, they're really handy to have. They're really good quality. And I don't feel that bad about um, writing in them because they're not super expensive. But the paper is just fantastic to write on. It's it's a pleasant experience just to write and carry this around, <laughs> which is bizarre. But uh, right now I've been compiling a list of uh, people that I want to interview, um, places that I want to go to and, um, some talking points. So I'm, I'm coming up, I'm still coming up with a questioning type of thing, uh, the the questions that I'll be doing. Uh, and, uh, my first one's going to be Dave. I'm working on getting his, his interview scheduled probably sometime in October, um, I've got uh, one last piece of gear that's coming in, um, and I want to have that tested. I've actually got to go out and test a couple things. So last week I got a GoPro Hero 7, um, and I want to test that out. Uh, The footage that I've seen from it so far is pretty good. You can actually do something that you haven't been able to do before, which is uh, change the ISO. And... um, so the sensor is a bit better in the, the GoPro Hero 7 than it has in the past. I have a Hero 3 that I sort of acquired from my brother-in-law, and uh, GoPros don't shoot well in the dark, um, and that's okay because I have uh, one of the other pieces of equipment that I've uh, gotten over the past few months is a Canon EOS M, which is a mirrorless. It's a, it's an early mirrorless camera from 2013. It's not really known for taking good pictures. But it takes fantastic video, and you pair that up with the right lens and it looks really good. And I can shoot in 24 frames. so with uh, And I can shoot in 24 frames with the GoPro uh, as well, so that's kind of why I wanted it. I wanted to be able to shoot in 24 frames. I don't know what the magic is uh, with the 24 frames shooting. I have no idea what it is, but it looks fantastic. But I've been gathering microphones. I got a a, a Movo shotgun mic, uh, which is sort of like a, a the Rode the Rode Micro uh, that you could put on a camera, uh, but I saw a back-to-back comparison. The, the, the Movo is a little bit cheaper and it has a better like bass response. It's got almost like a close to a 6 dB push uh, on the microphone, so it's slightly louder than the Rode Video Micro. Uh, so I have that for uh, when I just need to walk around and interview people real quickly. Uh, that microphone's on the on the camera. It's very directional, so I can't wait to use it out in in a a crowded area and see how that works. I still haven't tested that aspect of it, but I have talked into it. Uh, And then I've got a couple of lavalier mics, and then what I've got coming in is a wireless set. So Rode has this new, uh, I think it's called Wireless Go or something like that. Uh, It's a small wireless pack. It's Bluetooth, I believe. And um, what's great is that uh, the the two units, there's a receiver unit and there's a transmitter, the transmitter being the microphone. Uh, you can just clip that, that unit on, and that the whole unit serves as a microphone. But if you want to, if you need to have a little bit more inconspicuous look, you can actually plug in a lavalier mic and then use it like a standard belt pack. And, um, and I thought, wow, that's genius. So you can either have a quick setup or you can spend a little bit of time on it and make it look good. And then, plus, these things are so small that uh, the belt pack clip actually works as a hot shoe. So your receiver, the thing that's receiving your information from the microphone, uh, it will clip on to a hot shoe on the camera, and you can just plug it into the camera. So those are really exciting. I can't wait to get that out there and test that. Um, uh, And what I'm doing right now is testing the equipment, finding my quirks, kind of finding the little quirks with the equipment so with the with the uh canon eosm uh, one of the big quirks with it is that you have to get all your stuff set up ahead of time um you have to get into a separate menu screen and set your audio levels and stuff like that and when you start recording you just got to keep your fingers crossed and hope that it all works out um so that's what I'm. That's what I'm doing is marking levels and kind of getting an idea of what things sound like. So when I get these, uh, when I get this wireless unit in, I'll need to do some uh, a little bit of uh, pokey jiggery type of thing and and make sure that I've got my levels set. So when I do interview people, I know where those microphones are landing. Um, what I find is that when you have a lav plugged into the camera itself, the camera runs a bit hot, and uh, so if I'm not careful. Uh, you could end up um, really blowing out the the audio for this, and I don't want to do that. So, luckily, I do have a backup. I have a, a, a I have a Zoom H1, so I may for the first set of interviews uh, have that set up as a backup, uh, as a secondary redundancy for audio, just in case, um, because the camera does it. It just I'm serious the the volume level just bumping it up just a smidge can cause overdriving and a lot of background noise and the floor floor noise goes up tremendously for some reason. So, Those are things that I'll be testing out uh, once I get that wireless set in. But um, yeah, those are the things I've been kind of getting together. I, I do need to come up with some sort of lighting scheme, um, but I've spent so much money on cameras and microphones that uh, lighting will probably <laughs> end up taking a bit of a backseat, but I do have some clip-on lights. That I can uh, clamp down on on some. Uh, I do have some lighting legs, so I could clip those on onto that, and then you know cover them with parchment paper or something like that to diffuse the light just a bit. Yeah, as far as equipment, I'm still testing things out. I've got my GoPro Hero Seven. I need to go outside and get some shots with that and just see how that that's working. Um, I synced it up. I got all the uh, the firmware updated, and and I want to try some some things out like. Uh, uh, time-lapse. There can be some cool time-lapse shots that you do, um, and just sort of general walking around shots. It'll be a lot of my B-roll cam. Anything that I want, um, shot from inside a car or, uh, want to have some, it's got, it's supposed to have some really good smoothing capabilities, so, um, there's not a lot of jump and stuff like that. The, the Canon EOS-M doesn't have, uh, Really solid stabilization. They do all their stabilization in lenses, and I'm not using uh, native Canon lenses for this camera. Uh, so the the lenses for this camera are really kind of expensive. That's where, you're, and honestly, with cameras, that's where most of the expense lies, is with lenses. And uh, with the EOSM, they use the EFM lens types. And the stabilization is in the lens itself, not in the body, and there's no digital stabilization. So with those cameras, you really want to have them locked off on a tripod, but they look fantastic. Uh, And so if I'm going to have any kind of movement or anything that's going to be moving around, I will probably shoot that on the GoPro uh, Hero 7. And with those, I want to do mostly outdoor shots, kind of getting establishing shots of buildings, uh, anything where I need both the background and the foreground to be clear, I'll probably shoot on that. Uh, but if it's going to be sort of a still shot, something that I can set up and, and uh, you know, put some time behind it, that'll be shot on the Canon EOSM. m uh, Then I also have the GoPro Hero 3 if I need to do any kind of, you know, any kind of shots that way. And then I have a an old cheap that still works and it still looks decent to me, uh, a little action cam. Uh, that I may put on, you know, stuff to if I don't mind risking it, <laughs> I might use it if I, if you know, if I duct tape it to the top of the car or something like that to get a to get a shot. Um, might use that for for that. Um, but yeah, those are that's what I'm shooting with uh and that's the equipment. Um and uh now it's just a matter of getting things put together. So, uh, yeah, I have been doing my research, I've been looking around, I did find a doctor of psychology who, uh, a professor at a college who did write a paper on the psychology of collecting. Um, I haven't got a, a, in touch with him yet, I kind of want to see how um, shooting works first, and then I've got to go figure out a whole different aspect of uh, screen recording with uh, like Skype or something like that. Uh, he's, he's out in Ohio and I'm not going to be able to drive out to Ohio. So I'll need to, to do a Skype interview and find some screen capture recording that works well with that. Um, hopefully that, that will work with my potato computers. Uh, both my computers are are pretty old and they don't really, uh, they don't really like production stuff all that much. So that may be something that I do as as the production rolls along, I might start, you know, kind of packing away couple bucks here and there and maybe go get like a, a good gaming desktop uh, and turn that into a, an editing computer. I do want to put a call out though um, for, for someone. One of the things that I want to find is uh, a person where collecting has negatively impacted your life. Um, I have collect, I have collectors lined up where it's where it's been a positive experience where things have gone good for them, they love their collections, they love being a collector, they love everything uh, about it, um, and they're enthusiastic about it. I have those people all lined up, but I do need to find someone where collecting has probably been pretty negative on them. Maybe they've uh, obsessed too too much over it. Uh, maybe they've spent more money than what they should have. Um, whatever the, the issue is, maybe it's negatively impacted their relationship with someone. Um, I need to find somebody like that. And so uh, that's what I'm doing now. I'm using the podcast to kind of start searching for some of the things that may be a little bit more difficult to find. The reason why I'm looking for someone like that and the reason why it's so difficult to find someone is is not a lot of people really want to talk about um, their flaws or something negative about themselves. And uh, that's what I need to find. I need to find someone who is willing to talk about the bad side of collecting. Um, I'm not Again, this isn't supposed to be... It's not a hit piece on those of us who collect, but it is an aspect of it that does need to be addressed and does need to be looked at. Uh, and that's something I really would like to do is, is find someone. So uh, if you hear this podcast and you are someone who has been negatively impacted by uh, collecting... Uh, your your collecting has turned into an obsession or you've you know put yourself in a financial bind or your relationship with whoever whoever you're with suffered i would like to know about it and uh, hopefully interview you about it so if you're interested um send an email to retro reprise at protonmail.com i would love to talk to you about it um you know, if you're in the Texas area, maybe I can drive out there and shoot the uh, shoot some video. But if you're not, we could definitely do a Skype interview. I would love to do that. So uh, for the next few podcasts, you guys are going to hear me uh, put that out there that uh, I'm looking for somebody who's been negatively impacted by collecting. And like I said, it's not about, you know. Painting, collecting in a bad light, uh, but I do need to cover all aspects. And I already have the positive, um, and I will, you know, the thing is uh, I want to balance it out. I want to show the good and the bad, the, the dark and the light. But uh, that's probably going to wrap it up for this episode. Uh, I just wanted to give you guys a little bit of a glimpse as to what I'm doing. And uh, hopefully it's something that you'll find interesting, and if you, you do, um, you know, Check it. Uh, you know, step, stop by quite a bit because I want to talk about it a lot. Um, my YouTube channel. Um, before I completely wrap this up, I'm probably going to just clear out my YouTube channel and work on uh, this project. So I'm probably going to start eliminating videos pretty soon. Uh, I I kind of want to do a clean slate. Um, I, the the stuff that I've done before, I've been pr- I'm proud of. It's fine, um, but I don't. Uh, it's not really reflecting who I am now. And there's really nothing on there that I'm so proud of that I don't think could be packed away. So I'm going to probably start working on uh, eliminating stuff from my YouTube channel pretty soon and work exclusively on on getting this done. My hope is that one day I can do more of these types of videos, stuff that's a little bit more in-depth, that isn't going to work with the YouTube algorithm too well. I want to put a lot of time and a lot of effort and research and talk to genuine people about what's going on and create as high-quality video content as I can. If I could make it you know, television-level or better is what I'm shooting for. And uh, I would like to do a lot more of that. So if this is something that you're interested in, um, I do have a Patreon. I haven't uh, officially enacted it yet. But you can go to patreon slash you if you want to support this. I haven't come up with a plan yet. I have a little bit of a plan in my head. Um, it's completely not necessary. Uh, everything that I do, I do with a serious uh, budget constraint in my head. But uh, if you are interested in projects like these and you want to support it, then there is that Patreon available. Um, Like I said, I haven't really enacted it yet, but I do have a plan uh, in case people do want to support it. I will be doing exclusive videos and behind-the-scenes stuff and probably uh, release bits and pieces of what I'm working on on there as sort of semi-finished products so you can see what's going on. Uh, and that's what I'd like to do, and provide that for people. So if if you want to support something like this, it's going to be out there. But um, I funding is not something I'm. It's one of those topics that's really odd to talk about. Uh, it's uncomfortable to talk about. I'll be I'll be really honest with you. Uh, but uh, I think I'm going to go the Patreon route and toss that out there for people who want to support it. And if you can't support it, or you don't, you know, if you think this is e bagging. It's not e-begging. I'm not, I'm not begging you. This is, this isn't one of those things where I'm sitting there and going like, please, please, uh, I need your money to do this thing. No, I've already got the items that I need to shoot this. Uh, I don't have the ideal setups for a lot of stuff, but it's stuff that I can work with and things that I can work around. Um, and still come out with the quality that I would like to have and be able to produce. So um, it's one of those things that uh, once that gets a little bit uh, done, when I when I get that really laid out and maybe some videos specifically for Patreon, I might push it just a little bit, but I don't want you guys thinking that I'm e-bagging out there. Um, and I, I don't know about... Uh, there's a lot of sites that can help you um, sort of fund your documentary project. The problem is I don't have a specific time length. You know, if I were to really ask for, um, financial, uh, backing on this. I'd want it to be a full length production. I'd want it to be a full length movie. Um, and I don't know with my current idea. I don't know if that's just going to be a, I don't don't know if this is going to be like a 10 minute video, 15 minute video or an hour and a half. Uh, I really have no idea. It just depends on, uh, how it turns out and how things shoot. Uh, one thing that I'm learning, um, putting this together is that uh, you're uh, you, you shoot, you, you come up with an idea and you write that out and you get notes and you start getting stuff together. You do some research and then you shoot, go out and shoot a portion of it. You know, you go out and shoot and capture what you need and then the events in that shoot can cause things to change. And with that being being something that can happen um that means that your content or the direction that you bring things in are going to change i want this to be as natural and organic a process as possible so if i'm talking to somebody and they reveal a bit of information that's revolutionary and that can change the way my thought process is i want that to happen but i want it to happen in a natural way so uh that's uh, I'm, I'm hoping I'm hoping that will happen. So as of right now, I've I've got a couple of interviews uh, that I'm working on getting lined up, um, and with all the interviews put together, I have no idea how long the content's going to be. So I need to uh, I'll need to shoot and get a better idea of what's going on. Uh, once I get that done, but my first uh, my first planned shooting will probably be in October with Dave from Two BT because he is a massive Star Wars collector. He he has Star Wars toys and so and he's a good buddy of mine and he's not afraid to answer the tough questions. So I'll have some I'll have some questions that are probably going to be a little bit personal and a little bit um, you know digging digging deep into why. And he knows that it's not malicious by any means. It's just I want to get to the bottom of it cuz I have questions about myself and I have questions about why why we collect. Um, you know, Dave and I are around the same age. Um, why why do we collect? Why does he collect old Star Wars? Why do I collect old video games? Why are we tied to our childhood? Why do we think the 80s is the best time in the in the world? You know, those of us that were born in the late 70s and and grew up in the 80s and were teenagers in the 90s, you know, what Uh, why are we as obsessed with our stuff? Um, Because if you look at pop culture, I was going to wrap this up. It doesn't look like I'm wrapping this up. But if I look at pop culture, um, you know, everything that's out there now uh, has some relation to something that we did as kids. You know, there's been G.I. Joe remake movies. There's been Uh, The Transformers, the Michael Bay Transformers movies. uh, There's currently a He-Man movie in production right now. Um, You know, even some of the superhero stuff, um, you know, were comics that I read as a kid. You know, I was a big Marvel Comics fan, so seeing the Avengers on the big screen, uh, even though the Avengers and stuff like that started long before I was reading comics or even existed in this world. But for me, my big, in the 80s, I was a huge Iron Man fan. Huge. And a uh, huge uh, Iron Man fan. And so when Iron Man hit the big screen and stuff like that, I was really excited. And I've, I've always been sort of pro-Iron Man with the the MCU, even though he was never really a leader. Uh, he wasn't the Captain America, uh, you know, of the Avengers, like, uh, in the comics. Uh, he, always, he was always sort of, uh, you know, sort of the arrogant, rich guy in the back, uh, but... You know, with the MCU being what it is, they, they really pushed uh, Robert Downey Jr. to the forefront and, and kind of gave him a leadership role, um, which uh, I think Marvel sort of embraced. I, I always think Marvel does a little bit of pre planning with their comics. And so when stuff like uh, Civil War and stuff like that came out in the comics, you could kind of tell that they were trying to push, uh, you know, Iron Man to be more of a leadership role. And I think they were doing that so he could get a little bit more visual prominence in the comics. So people, when it when the movies finally came out, uh, people weren't people kind of under people thought, well, yeah, he's got sort of a leadership role. He's sort of a leader of of the Avengers. I mean, that's not to say he hasn't been. He, I think, he was the leader of like Avengers West Coast and stuff like that. But he he never. would I think Iron Man, I never think of like team lead. Uh, and he's definitely become more of that, that sort of persona. But, uh, man, I'm going off the rails here. Uh, but, yeah, I just want to talk about collectors and kind of get into more stuff. And I have more ideas for more shows. The thing is is that, um, again, these things take time to put together. And the way YouTube works is that it, I'm going in a complete opposite direction of what YouTube works. So, uh, you know, I don't know if these videos will be popular. I don't know if they'll get consistent amount of views um i don't know anything about that but there's there's certain aspects of things that i want to do and i want to publish but it, it's just not a popular way to go about it youtube wants you to do several videos a day and talk about hot button topics and get people engaged in your uh you know in your uh comments and it doesn't matter if it's negative comments or positive comments and that's just not where i want to go uh, i want to make uh solid content that people would want to watch and I still want it to be available for people to see with YouTube being free for people it's usually that's usually the best platform to go to but I I'm going to look into other platforms to release on but YouTube is the the free platform that just about everyone has and I want to be able to release it on that but the way YouTube works is that I won't see any kind of like return on it um, and I don't expect to, um, but I want to I release something that's good that people want to see, that people want to engage in. And I want the engagement to happen from day one, which is why I've been talking to you guys about it. I want, I want there to be engagement on this from, from day one because there's, there's always somebody who has contact with someone or has a different aspect or a, different, um, a difference of opinion. And for me, it's more important to cover all of those different sides than it is having one side that's, you know, could cause people to give you an argument, even though that looks good in, in uh, you know, YouTube metrics. Uh, I want to cover as much information as I can and look at all the different opinions and all the different sides of something. And that's what I want this to be. So hopefully I will be able to accomplish that. And I'm excited to get started Um because this has been sort of a dream of mine to work on uh, production of some sort, of something that I care about. And uh, I've always tried to do it, and I'm going to continue to to do it, whatever that interest is. So uh, I'm not dropping video games completely from from this channel. I'll talk about them when they come out. But I'm going to be spending a lot of time talking about uh, working on getting this uh, little documentary together, whether it's 10 minutes, 15 minutes, two hours long, uh, an ongoing series, whatever it turns out to be. I want it to be something that people will uh, want to engage with and something that's not insulting to anybody to watch. So with that, I'm going to thank you guys so much for joining me today, and I will see you next week. Retro Reprise is hosted and produced by Adam S. Al, published by NerdyLegion.com visit youtube.com forward slash Retro Reprise. Follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Retro Reprise. For business inquiries, email the show at retroreprisal at gmail.com. Game over.